Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Cole. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, fun passage, right? Long. Um, so... If you haven't met me yet, my name is Brian, and I am so excited to be back with you guys. Uh, last semester, I got to be with you and preach through Psalms chapter one, and we talked about what the blessed life means. And now you've had a whole semester of the Psalms, which is great because we're going to still be in the Psalms tonight, and we're going to continue that on. And so I really love the Psalms because it's like a spiritual textbook for uh, learning the biblical language of prayer. That really is it. And the Psalms, it helps us pray. Uh, prayers, not just when we're really happy, but also when we're really hurting. And tonight, Psalms 22 uh, is one of those Psalms that teaches us how to pray through the pain when we're experiencing agony that we just aren't capable of bearing. And so Psalms 22 is pretty famous. Uh, It's the most quoted Psalms in all the New Testament. Uh, And then Jesus himself even quotes us on the cross. I think that's where it's it's most known. And so Psalms 22 is a vitally important prayer to understand in the Christian life. Uh, It's what we call lament, which is really just that it it shows us how to pray through our pain. To be honest, I, I really think that we are terrible at this. I think our Christian culture today has really set us up for failure on how to pray through pain and bring our honest feelings to God. And I heard once that there's really three types of prayers. Um, Thank you, God. I'm sorry, God. And help me, God. And in the times of tragedy and the times of extreme pain, our default prayer is normally the, the help me, God. And how we pray that is, God, help me by doing this, this, and this. And for some reason, We think that it's the best idea in the times of tragedy to tell God exactly what he needs to do, as if he doesn't already know what's best for us. And that's why I love Psalms 22 so much, because here David tells us that it's actually the complete opposite is how we handle pain. So notice the structure of Psalms 22. We'll have it up on the screen. We have the first 18 verses of this Psalms, and it's simply David talking through his emotions, just verbalizing how he feels. Then we have three verses where David actually requests something from God, where he says, help me, Lord. And then we have the last 10 verses where David surprisingly praises God in the midst of his pain. And so if you look up there and you're looking at the the numbers, uh, we have 18 verses where David is just verbalizing how he feels. And then we only have three verses where he cries out, help me. Our prayers don't look like this. This just highlights how our Christian culture today has no idea how to properly lament. We don't know how to biblically pray through our pain. And so that's what we were gonna focus on tonight. Uh, Are any of you familiar with the Bible Project? Yeah, some people? Okay, well, it's a phenomenal source. You should definitely use it for any type of Bible study. Uh, But Tim Mackey, it's one of the founders of the Bible Project. And when he teaches on this Psalm, Psalm 22, he has this really helpful uh, modern version of a lament. And it's the example of the letter to Continental Airlines from seat 29E. Has anyone heard of this? Yes, one, one person. Okay, 
Well, I hadn't heard of it either until I heard him speak on this. And uh, to be honest, it is a masterpiece. And so I'm gonna read it to you, but it's also just a really helpful model of what it looks like to lament. So this is a letter from a real passenger on a real flight. And he writes this as he's flying uh, somewhere. And as he's writing this, um, uh, you have to notice, I did have to censor a few words to make it church appropriate. So you can use your adult imaginations to see what's behind that black line. Um, But it goes like this. He says, Dear Continental Airlines, I am disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I am having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircrafts. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the laboratory, so close that I can reach out my left hand and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's a long letter, so I'm going to skip some parts. The next page says this. I've constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of a blanket into the overhead compartment. And while effective in blocking at least some of the smell, uh, the um, offering is a small bit of privacy, the, notice the censoring, uh, the bottom on my body factor has increased. And without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanketed wall. The next bottom that touches my shoulder will be the last. (laughs) I'm picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young, promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats into this plane, putting them next to the laboratory. And I really like his picture. It helped me visualize this well. I would like to flush his head in the toilet that I am close enough to touch and taste from my seat. Next slide. Uh, We see another very nice picture. (laughs) He's a great artist, very promising. At the bottom of this, he says, I am filled with deep hatred for your plane designer and a general dis-ease that will last for many hours. And then the final page says this. We are finally descending and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield but the scars will remain. (laughs) I suggest that you initiate immediate removal of the seat from all your crafts. Just remove it and leave the smoldering brown hole empty, a good place for sturdy, non-absorbent luggage, maybe, but not human cargo. That's pretty good, right? (laughs) I love this because it's not only uh, makes us smile in a very depressing passage, Um, but it is a perfect model of what biblical lament is. Do you see the format that he says? As he's talking through it, you notice that the, the structure of his complaint, the entire letter is just simply expressing his discomfort and his anger that he's near the potty, right? And he can smell it and taste it and he doesn't want to be there. And it's not until the very, very end of his letter that he has one request, Remove the seat. Remove it. Guys, we can learn so much from biblical lament. We just don't know how to do this. And when we have pain, we normally turn, we normally turn to different coping mechanisms. We deal with pain with sarcasm or humor, as uh, the passenger here did. And you see, we, we assume that God doesn't care about your emotions So we don't tell him how we feel in our prayers. Instead, we tell him what to do in our prayers. We are control freaks who in reality have no control. And Psalms 22 sheds such beautiful light 
and freedom for us. So there's three truths that I really want us to see in Psalms 22 that will hopefully bring us some peace in the midst of our pain. So let's turn our eyes to this passage, which gives us a biblical blueprint for processing pain. So the first truth I want us to see is this. In your darkest hours, peace begins with honesty to God. In your darkest hours, peace begins with honesty to God. Look at verses one through 18. This is the section that David is just simply verbalizing how he's feeling. He's verbalizing his emotions. And as Cole was reading through it, you could tell this is raw. This is unfiltered cries to our God. The very first words that David says are, my God, my God. He opens his cries addressing, recognizing that he's talking to not just God, but, but his God, his Lord. And notice this, this is important. This recognition that he's talking to God, it does not make David filter his emotions. It actually makes him be completely unfiltered with God. It makes him completely honest because he knows who God is. See, David knows that peace begins with honesty to God. And I think far too often in times of trauma, when we're praying to God and trying to articulate how much pain we're in, we feel like every time we say something frustrating, we have to cope it with something of a proclamation of God's goodness. So for example, this past week, um, we were leading a mission trip in Ecuador and we got the news about the Nashville shooting. And this is the prayer I prayed. I said, God, I have no idea why you let six people be shot. But I know you're good and I know you're working all things for your glory. Is that a bad prayer? No. Did it help me process my pain? No. And it's definitely not the model of prayer that David shows us here. You see, David's trying to make sense of what seems to be two conflicting realities, that God is good and he's all powerful and yet there is sin and brokenness abounding in this world. And here he expresses this frustration, this tension between the two realities, honestly to God. So read with me. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. David's saying, God, you left me when I needed you the most. Verse three, yet you're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel and in your father's in our fathers, they trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. David's saying, God, I know you're holy, but it sure doesn't feel like it. You were there for my dad. You were there for my grandparents. Why aren't you there for me? Verse six, but I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. David's saying, I feel worthless, God. I feel subhuman and I feel hated by all. Verse nine, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble's near and there is none to help. David's saying that 
You've been my God since I was born, but where are you now? I need you. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. In this culture, bulls would represent just unpredictable chaos and lions represented power. So what David's saying is, God, I am, I am drowning in the chaos around me and I feel like I'm up against an unbeatable force. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a posture and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. David's saying, God, I've, I've reached my end. I am completely empty. Finally, verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare at me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Those phrases sound familiar. What David's explaining here isn't a sickness or a bad time. He's describing an execution by crucifixion. David's saying, God, I think you're supposed to win, but my enemies have won. They have crucified me. When was the last time you spoke to God like that? Do you see David trying to find silver lining in this time? No. This is gut wrenching pain expressed in its entirety. There's no sugarcoating going on here. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't filter his questions. Why? Because David already knows that God knows his heart. God already knows every ounce of David's pain. He knows every ounce of the frustration David has. He knows how many tears David has shed over this. David isn't saying anything that surprises God. So then why does David express his emotions at all? Is it for God's benefit? Is it for God's enlightenment? No, it's for David. And God allows him to talk to him like this because God knows that as humans, we have to process pain. You know, when you're dating someone and you're in the beginning of the relationship and you start to realize that there's just a couple of things that really get under your skin, but it's the beginning of the relationship, so you don't wanna offend them. So you just kind of bottle it up and bottle it up but eventually there comes a point in the relationship that you have to address it. And so all the things that you've bottled up eventually just erupt and normally not in a good way. Here in the Psalms, God's inviting you not to do that with your relationship with him. He's saying, don't bottle up your frustrations about knowing that I'm good and knowing there's evil amidst us. Don't bottle up your pain. I'm a safe place. You're not gonna hurt my feelings I already know the depths of your heart. Guys, if you find yourself in a season where you feel abandoned by God and you are at a loss for words, take heart. Your loving God has given you Psalms 22 to pray. Your pain's not gonna bring shame to God because we worship a God who delights in our need for him. He delights when we're honest to him. He delights, it brings him joy to heal our hearts. And this past week, I was, like I said, I was in Ecuador and we did a, a VBS. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the place. We were at a place out in Ecuador. And there was 360 kids from this village that came out to this school. 
and we put on the VBS and I was with the high schoolers, but during the rec time, I got to see all the little preschoolers and they were really cute. And there was this one little boy who was a little repulsive. He had dried snot crusted all around his lips and down his throat. I've never seen that on a child. And on top of the dried snot, he had liquid snot dripping on top of it. Then he had food crusted all over his face and stained on his shirt. He had stains on his pants, probably from going to the laboratory. And then as he ran by me in the first couple hours, I could tell when he was coming because he reeked. He reeked. And there was this moment we were out there playing and we locked the eyes across from the basketball court and he smiles at me and I smile at him and he just starts running as fast as he can. And he comes and he just jumps up and wraps his arms around me and just hugs me. And in that moment, every ounce of being disgusted by the smells and the stains and the snot disappeared. And the tighter he hugged me, I could not help but hold him tighter. Guys, this is the love that Christ has for you. You come to him broken, covered in repulsive sin, and yet he cannot help himself, but holds you tight and comfort you in the midst of pain. He comforts you in the midst of pain. See, this is one of our limitations as humans. We have to process pain. And when you process your pain honestly, you normally have to say some things that might be uncomfortable. You have to say some things that aren't ultimately true, but in the moment, they really seem true. David shows us this, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God leave David? No, but David sure felt alone. He sure felt helpless. He says, I'm a worm, not a man. Is David subhuman? Was he not made in the image of God? No, but in that moment, he sure feels worthless. God is so gracious to us in our pain. He doesn't just allow us to say things like that to him. He actually encourages it because he knows that we need it. We need it to process our emotions. It's also really important to point out that tragedy, pain like this is isolating to everyone, regardless of how close of a relationship you have with someone. So think of a family member. When tragedy strikes, does conversation just flow out of you easily? Is it easy to keep a conversation up when a loved one dies? I remember my junior year in college, it was finals week. And so I was pulling an all-nighter as we did every finals week. And it was about 3 a.m. I'm sitting in my bed with the textbook open and my best friend, he's my roommate, and knocks on my door and he walks in and he is sobbing and he never cries. And he just kind of stood there for a while and I knew something really bad had happened. And he, he really tried to utter out some words and he finally got it out and he goes, it happened, dad's dead. And it didn't matter how close I was to him. That was my best friend. I had no idea what to say in that moment. I just sat there and I wept with him. But church, you worship a God who never has an experience of a loss for words. He always knows what you need in the deepest, most painful moments. And that is a safe place to honestly articulate the pain that you're feeling. Jesus is that safe place. And so in your darkest hour, peace begins with honesty to God.
Number two, peace begins with trust in God. So look at verses 19 through 21. We finally get to the part where David starts to request things from God. He says, help me, Lord. Read with me verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I love this, it's so simple. David just says, come quickly, God, deliver me, save me. That's it, come quickly, deliver me, save me. In other words, David trusts that God knows what's best. He trusts that God knows what's best. He does cry out for help, but he doesn't tell God how to help him. He just says, help me, deliver me, save me. I need you. That's all he says. In the first verse in this passage that he requests something from God, verse 19, it's also the first place that David addresses God by the divine name. Do you see in your Bibles that Lord in verse 19 is in all caps? What David's doing here is he's telling God, hey, well, don't forget that covenant that you made with us. Remember who you are. You promised to always be there for me. You promised that you would save me. Listen, step one is honesty. We have to be honest about our current circumstances, but step two is trusting that God is still who he says he is, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it. And the only way David is able to utter these few verses, God save me, it's because despite his current circumstances, he trusts that God is still who he says he is. The God of the covenant who will be faithful to the promises he made as he has and always will be for generations and generations to come. So in your darkest hour, peace begins with honesty to God, trust in God, and finally, praise towards God. Look at the last few verses. It seems a little bizarre, but the last 10 verses of David's most agonizing cry to God, it ends with him singing praises to him. It says, if God had said so far, let's start with step one, honesty. I can take it. I'm a safe place. Don't worry about offending me. Just tell me exactly how you feel. And through your honesty, I'm gonna mold your heart to look more like mine. And I will make you trust that I am who I say I am. And when you trust me, you will praise me. And when you praise me, you will find rest. There's so much to learn from these verses of praise from David. And I want you to notice David's language, how it evolves throughout this section. Look at verse 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Skip down to verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. You see this? Beginning with David's deepest pain, Praise arises from David individually to God's people corporately to the ends of the earth eternally. You see, God's plan for processing pain is not an individual journey. At some point, God wants you to invite people into your pain so you can celebrate his faithfulness and they can help you heal. 
He highlights this in verse 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my who? My brothers. In the midst of the what? The congregation, I will praise you. Look at verse 25. From you comes my praise in the great what? Congregation. David's saying that, hey, tell your brothers and sisters of the pain you're going through. Let them in and then tell of God's faithfulness in the midst of it. As the church, especially in today's world, we must be better at being vulnerable with each other. We have to be. It is our darkest seasons that hold the greatest potential for displaying God's goodness and mercy. We just have to have the courage to share of those times. We have to be brave enough. Vulnerability, it's a gift that leads to the praises of God echoing throughout all of creation. And if you don't hear anything else I've said tonight, I need you to hear this. There is no one else in all of humanity that does these things better than Jesus Christ. I just want you to imagine little Jesus growing up, preteen Jesus, He's going to the temple. He opens the Holy Scrolls and he's reading and memorizing scripture and he gets to this passage, Psalms 22. And he starts memorizing it. Jesus knew this Psalm. We know he knows it because he quotes it on the cross in the most desperate time in his life. But it's important to realize that there are a thousand years from when David writes this Psalm to when Jesus Christ quotes it on the cross. That means that there's a thousand year period where millions of God's people are reading this Psalm, having no idea about Christ and his end, but knowing that this is the only way they can articulate the pain they feel when God abandons them. And there had to be a moment when little Jesus is reading this and it clicks. Oh, that's why I came. That's why I came to bear the suffering of sin for everyone who has ever had to pray this prayer. For everyone who has ever felt forsaken by God, I will become forsaken for them. Think of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. This is his most vulnerable, most human moment that we know of. Who does he ask to be there with him? His brothers, the other disciples, the congregation, Jesus is processing his pain in the garden and he's scared and he's begging his dad, please don't let this happen, dad. If there's any other way, God, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And in those moments, he literally begins to sweat blood because he is so anxious about the agony that is gonna come. And hours later from that moment, as he hangs on the cross, Psalms 22 is engraved in his heart. And not only the first verse, but also the last. Verse 31 says this, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that, it had, that he has done it. And with the last breath of Christ, he proclaims it is finished. In the beginning of our time, we realize that a lot of us, when we're trying to pray through pain, we assume that God doesn't care about our emotions. And that's why we don't talk to him about our emotions. We tell him what he needs to do about them. But it turns out, Jesus doesn't just care about your pain. 
he did something about it. He bore it. He bore their worst pain, the pain of being separated from God, a pain that you could not bear. And now, Christian, in our darkest hours, when we have to pray Psalms 22, we do not pray it to a God who is oblivious to our pain. We pray it to a God who spoke and cried these very words. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who loves us enough to allow us to be honest. Lord, help us in the times of deepest pain to be truthful to you about the frustrations we have, that you are still good, but God, there's so much evil around us. God, give us strength when we can't see you and we can't feel you to trust that you are who you say you are. And Father, despite our situation, let us sing your praises with the generations and generations to come. And Father, let us live knowing that it is finished. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.